Um, we're just going to, uh, we just need one minute. So if you can wait 60 seconds, also it'll give people a chance to come in. So we'll be there in 60 seconds. Enjoy. Okay, and we're live. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Aaron, you're here. Let me make you a moderator. All right, here we go. Welcome to Useful Idiots. Um, call in, which we do every Monday at 11 a.m. And we uh, it's kind of a continuation and extension of what we talk about on our Monday morning YouTube live stream. So, Aaron, you, should we take the first caller? You watched this on YouTube. You couldn't have enough. <laughs> you had to come over for another hour on Colin. And here we yeah. are. So welcome, Thank everybody. Thanks yeah, for joining us. Yes. Let's take the first caller. Yeah. Great. Anthony. Hey, what's going on? Good morning. Monday morning. Sunday Good morning. morning. Good Sunday yeah. morning. I, you know, Monday morning. It's, it's really hard to watch those clips. I'm not going to lie. You know, and I used to actually be a critical... <laughs> not really critical just i was a naysayer in the comments uh back when i think you started the show or when i started watching it i was like oh why platform mainstream media why even give it the airtime but it's uh it's 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 important i think actually especially in this war and because the the left the american left it's nowhere to be found on this at least in government and uh you know there's a to that effect there's like a local npr show around me they've been pushing this war so hard and I, i've been calling in and disagreeing with them and it seems like it spurred them to try to program a whole nother segment the next day that's like oh why sanctions aren't bad why they don't hurt regular people and their guests totally discredited that too so i think it's good you know to push back on this neoliberal media at every you know every put every chance yeah and you gotta know your enemy right like these people are not not going to be on the air so it's helpful, I think, to deconstruct and debunk what they're saying. Not to toot our own horns. I mean, maybe that sounds a little self-important. But if the debate is whether or not to platform these people, of course, platforming, I think another thing that gets left out of that discussion is platforming is when you have a, a bigger platform and you're highlighting them. Like, it's like, but for us, no one would see them, which obviously isn't the case. So appreciate your evolution on that. And also appreciate you going on to shows and trying to get them to cover another side. Oh, yeah, we, we got to do it. And uh, we can't give the the congressional non-left any 
an inch with this. And I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I don't want to seize the house. I don't even want to interact with the house of representatives, you know, yeah. <laughs> but this squad, if, if the Ukraine, if everything they've done hasn't shown us the Ukraine war has shown us they're not left. Yeah. Except for, I do want to give a shout out to Cory Bush and um, Ilhan Omar. Oh, they voted against it. Yeah, right, Aaron. They voted against what was the thing that they voted against? Um, they did vote against sanctions. That's right. They sanctions, did. Yeah. But I will say this: Do you know who's been better than both of them? I'm sorry to say this because this is this is I know this sounds terrible, but it's true. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Really? Wow. Yes. Yes. More forcefully opposed to arming Ukraine and speaking out about the the Nazis in Ukraine than any member of the squad. That's just a sad a sad fact. I'm sorry right. to say. I'm sorry. Which does not mean that that is an inherently right wing uh, issue. People love making that argument. It means that it's so sad that the Dems can't be better on this, that they have to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're obsessed with calling January 6th an insurrection that was led by Nazis. But yet the same people who do that are sending weapons to Ukraine and those weapons are reaching Nazis. That's just a, a fact. Um, right, the same people who call it, you're saying, the same people who are calling it uh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sorry to say that Marjorie Taylor Greene, for all the nutty things that she said, has been, I think, better on speaking out about U.S. policy in Ukraine than any member of the squad. And that's just where we're at. It's just, it's very hard in 2022 for progressives to be principled when it comes to issues of war, especially if it involves Russia somehow. Yeah, uh, I was watching Garland Nixon yesterday. He said, you got to have deal breakers. And if you haven't seen enough deal breakers in the last two years of the Democratic Party, then yeah. But all right, have a good one. You too. Thanks, Thanks for calling. You too. All right, next call. We got uh, Rona. Rena. Rena. Sorry, Rena. Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing Hillary Clinton with me this morning. That really made my morning so far. We didn't um, do a trigger warning, so apologies for <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, those are required. I'm very sorry. Um, I, I have a friend who watches a lot of Fox News, and she told me yesterday that Hillary Clinton is going to be running in 2024 and Biden is bowing out. And she has to have heard that or seen a crawl down at the bottom of the Fox News thing that we're they are making that claim but uh which i didn't find anywhere and i i did sort of casually look uh but i'm wondering if the reason she was on with tuck is uh maybe the beginnings of the hillary comeback any thoughts on that huh have not heard anything about that certainly always a possibility you never know uh she could want to take some time off of you know maybe chilling in cedar rapids is is not as fulfilling <laughs> as she thought it would be uh or chapa uh where is it chapaquitic uh they're in the hamptons i think what, where's the thing okay uh teddy kennedy accident which city was that yeah that was chapaquitic okay yes. so chapaqua they're in chapaqua yeah yeah right yeah and the the other thing, the one other thing I wanted to mention, and Aaron, you should you should plug your gray zone colleagues. Uh, really good article that I read uh, this morning from from the gray zone about how uh, the Mar 
Mariupol hospital story is probably uh, bogus, you know, that Russia, Russia bombed it. And then also some questions about the so-called genocide and war crimes in, in the town of Bucha and uh, really appreciate having that kind of reporting coming from the gray zone. And, you know, it's hard on the fly, but to, to get any kind of, uh, valid information but honestly it's just astounding to me how these how these stories that come straight from the ukrainian government just get touted on these sunday shows like they are the gospel and it's it's maddening and it's maddening to me that people are falling for this again i'm sorry shock and awe was not that long ago Weapons of mass destruction was not that long ago. I will excuse people who were babies at the time, but anybody my age, uh, you know, down about another 30 years, just has no excuse, no excuse at all for buying all the BS that we're hearing. Thanks to you both anyway. Thanks, Brennan. Yeah, look, it's unfortunately in this media climate, it's left up to, you know, relatively very small and fringe outlets like the gray zone to just do what basic journalism should be. Look at the available evidence. That's all we can do is look at the evidence that is available. And that's what uh, Kit Clarenberg does in his new article at the Gray Zone when it comes to the bombing of the hospital in Mariupol and also what we know so far about what happened in Bucha. And what it points out about Bucha is that Russia left that town on, I think, March 31st. And the mayor said the town had been liberated didn't make any mention about these um, supposed Russian prisoners of war being massacred, tied up and left on the street. And then the Azov Battalion came into Bucha. And again, we heard nothing about these atrocities. And then only a few days after Azov comes in and Russia has left, do we start getting these images of prisoners being tied up and killed. And And the allegation from Azov is that this was the Russian government killing Ukrainian uh, prisoners of war who had resisted them. Again, it could be true. We don't know. Maybe it's true. But the what is totally irresponsible is the blind acceptance of these claims on faith without more investigation and ignoring the countervailing evidence that is laid out in this article that's up at the grayzone.com. And unfortunately, there's just too many, there's too few journalists willing to do the kind of reporting that just looks at honestly what we know. And that's that's all we can do as journalists. But so much journalism right now is not about that. It's about how can we serve the government narrative. And that's why we're in the situation we're in. By the way, I wonder if I started calling the gray zone, the zone, would that fly? You think if I just called it the zone for short instead of the gray zone? I don't know. Let me know I your know. thoughts. I'd be curious. What yeah. What do you think? Why do you like it? Just to shorten it a little bit? Yeah. I just, I just like, I just like abbreviation. I just yeah, like shortening things. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right out of the AMPB. Exactly. The AMPB. Aaron Mate playbook. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rena, thank you for the call. And, Jeff, you're up. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Good morning. Um, So, I sort of have a question comment um, about when they were back in 2014 or whatever it was that Victoria Newland was selecting Zelensky. I, I think he as an individual is sort of irrelevant, but how, how much, by the way, she think- wasn't, she wasn't selecting Zelensky. She's, she was selecting the 
coup government that replaced Yanukovych. Zelensky was elected okay. in 2019, though. That's okay. That's right. My apologies. Okay, but when when the government, State Department, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was selecting the coup government, it seems to me that either they did very much take into account the Nazi element within Ukraine, or they really dropped the ball and didn't take into account. Because I, I don't see how you could have been thinking down, you know, down the road, the long, so-called long game, without taking into consideration how much power they actually have. Now, I know it's been stated before that there's not a large element, but I think that does in some ways that diminishes what their power actually is and their power within the government because they've sort of spiderwebbed, you know, into local law enforcement uh, state law enforcement, the military, and government, but their their power lies in their willingness to commit violence. And I, I kind of wonder how the United not our media, but how our government officials did they do they take that into account and use that uh, to manipulate uh, the outcome the United States wanted, or did they just totally drop the ball and were ignorant? But I kind of. I believe it to be um, that they understood what type of element they were dealing with in Ukraine and sort of it was part of the Nazi element within Ukraine was 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 used or taken into account to come out to this inevitable outcome of this conflict that we're, we're currently involved in. Well, you know, as I've talked about a lot, the neo-Nazis in Ukraine, from the start, have been forcefully opposed to making any peace with the Russian-backed rebels in the Donbass. That's why in 2015, you know, so seven years ago, there were peace accords signed between both sides, between the Ukrainian government and the rebels. The Minsk Accords. The uh, Donbass gets autonomy, and in exchange, the Donbass demilitarizes. But Ukraine's borders remain intact. And it was the neo-Nazis in Ukraine who, who killed this. They marched. They held protests. They held protests where police officers were killed uh, because they were so violently opposed to this notion of peace. And so Poroshenko, the first Ukrainian president, signed the Minsk Accords. He didn't implement them. Zelensky then campaigned, promising to make peace. That was his whole mandate. And he tried to initially. He tried to take some steps. He went to the Donbass. There's actually a video clip that's circulating of him going to the Donbass and meeting with some people from Azov. And the Azov members tell him to go away. And, and Zelensky says, you can't talk to him like that. I'm the president. And they laugh at him. And the U.S. could have always stepped in to support him and say, no, actually, you're implementing Minsk. And if not, we're going to pull all of our support to you. The same way Joe Biden did when he got that prosecutor fired. The U.S. could have done that. And by the way, this is exactly what Stephen F. Cohen, the late Russia scholar, told me in an interview two years ago. He said that unless the U.S. has Zelensky's back, then he can't do anything and he can't make peace. And the U.S. chose instead to flood the country with more weapons and encourage a war. So I think absolutely the U.S. has used the presence of Nazis in Ukraine and the far right to essentially side with them and sabotage any chances of peace. Okay, great. Thanks for the feedback. As you pointed out, Aaron, and Mark Ames has pointed out, uh, you know, there was a time when the the um, New York Times actually called Asof the Asof Battalion uh, neo uh, neo Nazi. 
Yeah, according according to the time. So like back when back when the Donbass war started, the shock troops for Ukraine were were the Azov Battalion. That's who was really motivated to fight because they wanted to eliminate Russians. They 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 have a hatred of Russians. So the Azov Battalion on the front lines of the fight, they're getting U.S. weapons, U.S. training. And back then, the New York Times accurately called them a neo-Nazi paramilitary organization. Now they're just, if you read the Times now, now they're either far right or they're just the Azov Battalion. They've dropped even a description. So somehow in these years of U.S. training and weapons uh, support to the Azov Battalion, U.S. has also thrown in some sensitivity training to make them to make Azov apparently no longer neo-Nazi. Yeah, some diversity training. Yeah. They got Robin uh, D'Angelo in there. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Jeff, thanks for the call. Thanks, you're welcome. Jeff. Take care, guys. John, you're up. Hey, guys. Hey. Oh, what happened? Sorry. Some, somehow we skipped John. John, get back in the queue. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. I think maybe Aaron and I both pressed next call or something. But um, come back in the queue. We'll call you next, okay? Sorry, John. Sorry, John. Sorry, John. Thanks, guys. Hey, good morning. Um, I wanted to switch subjects a little bit. You talked about it right at the front end of the YouTube show, Aaron. Um, uh, The Amazon thing and the unionization there. A couple of things I wanted to put out there and kind of get your reactions to. One was um, Sarah Jaff, I think her name is. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think Sarah you may Jaff. have her on. Sarah Jaff. Yeah. Jaffy. I think you've had her on, right, Katie? Yeah, yeah on the Katie Helper show, yeah. She had a really unfortunate tweet yesterday, or maybe on Saturday, uh, something. Guys, Chris Smalls did a hell of a lot of work, I'm quoting her, and was personally targeted targeted by Amazon, but no one wins a massive union election alone. And I'm seeing way too many, quote, this guy did dot, 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 and not these 2,654 workers did. I wanted to ask you guys' reaction to that tweet specifically, and and I see it as, like, pretty uh, offensive to Chris Smalls, who I think, you know, was marginalized, has been homeless, and worked uh, worked tirelessly to to push for this and get this done. And he is the leader and leaders get recognition and, and all those uh, workers who voted are important too, but you, you don't have movements without leaders and to marginalize Chris Smalls that way, I think it's really, um, and this is me editorializing really questionable and, and just wrong. I'll just say it that way. It's wrong. And, and I could get into a little more about what I, why, why, you know, I would say if that was a white person, she may not have said that. I don't know that. I just think I find it a little racist. Uh, secondly, I wanted to see if you guys had any reaction to um, AOC putting up her strong arm uh, reactions to the vote count on uh, Thursday or on Thursday evening and Crystal Ball re- responding with the interview they had done of Chris Smalls and uh, – and AOC hitting back with, with um, the warehouse isn't in my district, so I, you know, blah blah blah, whatever. Like, you don't get to claim victory of something when you weren't there to help. And as Chris Small says, you know, you were going to, and then you couldn't show up 
because of security concerns, and then you went to the Met Gala, you know, there's a whole there's a whole list of things in there that are really interesting. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys about that, and and then lastly, um, do you think you know Amazon hasn't even tweeted anything when they used to daily tweet, and they haven't said anything last I checked as of yesterday um, on Twitter and, and date. Are they a little shook and? How are they going to respond to this? Are they going to shut that warehouse down? I know that's a lot, but if you guys can respond to some of that. I'll start with the Sarah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Katie. Well, I'll start with the Sarah thing. I mean, I think that uh, I would say that Sarah is someone who covers labor movements. She's written about them in books. She does really good journalism on them. I think a, I think within the tweet you read, she acknowledged Chris Small, so she wasn't denigrating him or dismissing his contribution. I think mm. probably what she did was a like a reflection of the frustration that people have with the way with how bad um, labor journalism is. I mean, first of all, it's basically non-existent, and then when it is written about in mainstream uh, press, it is very much an oversimplification and it doesn't focus on the less sexy part of of labor wins which is of course mass movements and i think that you know i as you pointed out like movements do need leaders and i think that there's sometimes a bit of like a shaming of of uh leader focus which i think is you have to have both basically is my position and i don't i don't really think that you can say um you know, like you're, I'm not going to say that you're sexist because you're criticizing Sarah, right? Like, I just think you need more evidence before you say something or someone is racist. That's fair. I, yeah. It just seems like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, but, but she is someone who, I mean, I think that sometimes there is, a, I, I, I'm not saying this about her. I think sometimes there is an annoying chiding of the way people focus on leaders, and that is natural. I think that, you know, we have to recognize and I think Adam Johnson actually just wrote a piece about like good, like why leaders matter. I didn't have time to read it yet, but I saw it. Um, so yeah, I would say that I both understand where Sarah's coming from. And I also think that, you know, what we're not going to, we don't have time to reinvent the wheel and people respond to leaders and stories and his story is very compelling. And he has been shat on by the media. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my take. Um, I don't know, Aaron, do you have anything to say about AOC? I kind of get tired of the AOC. I just feel like, why, why focus on it so much? Um, I don't, I'm not saying that, like, I'm critical of people. Like, it's, that's not in a protective way of her. I mean, I, um, I guess I would, I would just respond to that, and then, Aaron, if you, if you have anything to say. But we only have a few progressives that pretend to advocate for the things that we support. And when they aren't there to support the things that that we want to see happen you know it matters we, yeah. we don't have a lot of advocates in elected office and this goes a little bit to the conversation that uh chris hedges and and uh and brianna joy gray had on on her podcast that was released you know late last night or early this morning and they talk about this and, and it's really interesting but oh, you know um it's like you know we don't we need to push on our advocates when they won't advocate for the things that they pretend to support, but then don't, you know? And I, I get sick of the AOC stuff too. And I hear you on that Katie, but like she is one of a few squad members and progressives. I mean, I'm pretty much writing off Rokanda at this point. He's been so terrible of late. Um, but anyway, go ahead. And I, I think I've said enough. 
Well, yeah, on AOC's response, why couldn't she just say, yeah, you know what, my fault. I should have been there. But she didn't. She tried to excuse it, and she said, like, these workers aren't in my district. They're not my constituents, which is, first of all, not even true. You think people in Queens don't commute over to Staten Island to work at Amazon? Of course they do. And even if they didn't, and even if they didn't, so you can't be there for, like, a historic labor struggle? Yeah, go slap. It's not in your district. It's, It's crazy. So... I thought that was really lame. And I, you know, I agree she takes too much heat and too much attention. It's not fair to her to make her like the kind of like have to answer for everything. But, you know, she got some fair criticism and she could have just said, yeah, like that was my bad, especially given that she went to the Met (laughs) Gala around the same time. So, you know, I I thought that was lame. It was so condescending. Like, look at him. You may want to look at a map. Like, like, I, yeah. it's just so condescending. There's not much yeah. more to say about it. But where was Bernie, too? I mean, where was the rest of the squad? Yeah, where sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, exactly. It, people with Chris Smalls. So, exactly. Know, they, they it had wasn't a just time for Bessemer. They had a, a, a small amount of time for Bessemer and no time for Staten Island. And so, yeah. I, I guess I'll just throw it back out. Do you guys have any opinions on where this goes, what this does for a labor movement? Is this is this a pivotal moment? And we were seeing Starbucks and Amazon unionize. And and what do you think Amazon's response is going to be? And then I'll I'll drop down now and won't ask anything more. Well, I'll just say that I will I will be a part of any movement that Chris Smalls is leading. I think he's what he did is so unbelievable. The fact that you have these internal memos from Amazon saying that we need to make this guy the face of the union organizing effort because whatever they and then they disparaged him. And then he turns around and devotes his life to making this happen, you know, basically lives in that tent outside the warehouse, organizes constantly. Uh, it's, it's incredible. He's a hero and he deserves every accolade he gets. He deserves a MacArthur Genius Grant. He deserves and – and, you know, I, he, he should be a leader and, and I will follow uh, yeah. because it's, it's, just, it's just incredible. And in terms of what comes next, I'm sure Amazon will find out – I'm sure they'll contest – the vote. I'm sure they'll, they'll marshal their huge power to undermine this in any way because this truly is historic. Yeah. Also, we had him on. I'll I'll try to clip tweet out some of the times that we had him on the, the Katie Halper show, but we had him on twice and uh, yeah, great interviews. Yeah. We should tr- we should try to get him on Euphoria hey, hey, this week. We should try to get yeah. yeah let's get him on Euphoria. Yeah. You guys should. That'd be awesome. I'd love Unless to he's Chris too, he may be too big time now. Yeah. That'll yeah, be I mean, good. We'll see how this will be. Chris, you got to come on. MSM won't be covering him, so you guys, you guys are tops in the alternative media. You guys can get him. Yeah. Come on. All right. Well, thank you. Thank thanks for the call. As yes, always. Yeah, thank you. All right. Ray and Bourne. John, are you back? Are you back? John, if you're back, come back. Come back in. But we're gonna go with Rayborn right now. There is a John. There, there is a John in the queue oh. with like a, a QR code avatar. Is, oh. is that the same John? I'm not sure. Yes, that's him. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. Well, Rayborn, you're up. So uh, you go ahead, and then we'll bring in John. Hey, yeah. So I'll be quick, as, as I, you know, I know y'all got a lot of people. I just want to give a little different perspective on this whole thing. So I'll, we spend what the U.S. military spends a trillion dollars, you know, a year on on defense budget, right? But a lot of that money. It, if they don't use that to improve our military, a lot of that, if you remember, it, they, they just steal, they just rob money. So I have a feeling the Pentagon doesn't really want to go nose to nose with Russia. They've been, Russia, China have been what? It's like 
it's like when LeBron is like the champion of your league, you got to build a team to beat LeBron. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to build a team to be there. Russia and China have been watching us do all these military interventions all over the world for the last 20, 30 years. They all they know is they got to do is that, you know what I'm saying? So Russia has a hypersonic missile, supposedly, that is designed to destroy aircraft carriers. That's, that's the one that supposedly hit the weapons depot. They also have a vacuum bomb that goes through walls. That's like, this is all military technology that the Pentagon does not have. And supposedly they've already said that they don't know, like if the hypersonic missile comes, they basically said, we don't know what to do. We're going to be SOL. Um, so just kind of a different perspective. Cause everybody thinks, Oh, we spend a trillion dollars a year. We're going to be bigger and better than everybody else. I mean, you know, we've only been, we were only in Iraq with air support that whole time. Right. So we, our military knows how to call in airstrikes, send in boots and shoot anything that moves. Right. The Russian military is a little more tactical, a little more advanced than that, just from what I've seen. And again, I'm not a military expert, but just sort of from the outside looking in. And then the only other thing I was going to say was, um, can we get a petition to start calling the Speaker of the House Nazi Pelosi after that little convention she had when she was doing Slava Ukraine? That was kind of um, and that's it. I'll let y'all go. That's pretty good. I like that. Nazi Pelosi. That's, that's good. I haven't heard that before. And I, I love a good pun. So I, I, I'm with it. I think it's totally fair. Um, people might be offended by that, but the fact is Pelosi is advocating arming a Nazi infiltrated army. You know, th- there's no way the Azov battalion is not getting U.S. weapons and benefiting from U.S. military support. So I think that's fair. And on the point about the Pentagon not wanting to fight Russia, absolutely. That's a point that uh, Scott Ritter has made. He's a former Marine Corps intelligence officer and Doug McGregor. Uh, a retired colonel was a NATO uh, military strategist and Max Blumenthal and I have interviewed both of them. And that's what they said is the Pentagon doesn't want to fight people, armies like Russia that can actually fight back. They want to fight countries like Iraq, which can be easily wiped out. And it's the, it's the people in the state department and the white house that are the ones really more clamoring for direct military confrontation. And of course, pundits on cable news because they're chicken hawks. They don't have to actually fight. And um, yeah, and it's and what's interesting is if you look at where have the leaks been coming from in this war so far from the U.S. government that undermine some of the pro-war narratives, it's all from people inside the Pentagon. People in the Pentagon leaked a few weeks ago to Reuters, I believe, that there was no evidence at all that Russia is planning a chemical attack. That was obviously done to undermine people like Tony Blinken and Joe Biden who were warning about that. Uh, and there was this article in Newsweek where an analyst from the Defense Intelligence Agency basically said that Russia so far is focusing on military targets and there's a way out of this war. It hasn't gotten nearly as bad as it could. So and that's obvious. Why? It's because people in the Pentagon don't – they know what it would mean to fight Russia. It would mean a, a catastrophic war for everybody and they don't want to do it. So that's why they're undermining some of the, some of the bellicose claims coming out of the White House and the State Department. So, all right, let's, so should we bring in John with the, with the QR yes, code? Yes, let's bring okay. him on. I'm bringing him in. Make okay. next caller. And thank you to the last caller. I forgot to sign off and say thank you. Hey, that's so awesome of you guys to get me back in here. Thank you. Of course. Uh, I spoke to you last week, and since then, um, I, I did catch that uh, interview uh, with Scott Ritter. I would encourage anyone uh, to check that out. Um it's it's really enlightening. Um, I had a little enlightening myself this week. I was speaking to a um, 
I wouldn't say a rabid Trump supporter, but someone who just says, I love Trump. And, um, you know, uh, it, it was really interesting, the, the various things that we're in agreement on, uh, such as, you know, the media is pushing for this war, um, different things. But then when you mention something like, you know, um, WMD and the call for war, it, there's like a total disconnect. And and it's kind of the same way with liberals when you mention um, Hunter Biden and all the problematic, very problematic issues around him. Um, and so this kind of is uh, just a, a follow up um, to last week when I talked about, um, you know, how you felt about the uh, disconnect that that people are maybe beginning to wake up to what's going on in the media. Um, I noticed like, uh, like, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Trevor Noah, uh, was, was very quick, uh, on pointing out the hypocrisy surrounding, uh, the Ukraine narrative and, and the refugees and all of that. Um, so you have like, I, I think a large percent of the black community are quite aware that, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy around this. Then you also have a lot of the uh, Fox News viewers who, um, you know, are not not for war with Russia. So um, do you think there's any chance that this is going to come together and people are going to, um, you know, begin the great awakening to to what's going on in this country? Thank you. Thanks, John. From your mouth to God's ears. Yes. You know, and who knows? Who knows? Who knows how things happen, but certainly, I mean, we're always, we're always in a moment that could spark something bigger, but who knows, you know, it's, I wish I could predict like that, but we just can't. Uh, Todd. Thanks, John. Todd. Oh, sorry. Let me make you next. Hi, Todd. You there? Todd, Todd. Sorry, don't know. I took a liberty in calling you Todd Todd. Todd Todd, you there? Todd, and Todd, yourself, Todd yeah, Todd, 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 if you're there, you, there's a button in the bottom right to unmute yourself. It's a microphone. And you got to hit it so we can hear you. And if you don't, we will move on to the next caller. There yeah, you go. I think I, hit, I think I hit it. You did. Hit it. Yeah. Hit it. Hit it. All right. Uh, nice, nice to speak with you both big time fan. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and do the usual and ask an incredibly leading question. But uh, given that um, I, I follow the Institute for the Study of War on Twitter, because I don't know, I know they're a little bit biased, but they at least try and be somewhat impartial. And it looks like um, a likely outcome is that Russia keeps some pretty significant chunks of the eastern part of Ukraine and the West just continuously paints Putin as a war criminal in an attempt to get him out of power somehow. Do could he, both of you comment on that as a possible somewhat end game that could just be prolonged through right into our midterm elections? And do you think that'd be useful in the sense of at least lessening bloodshed and bringing us to some level of conclusion? 
I don't follow. So prolonging the war until the midterms would somehow lessen well, the bloodshed? How? No, well, no, pro- prolonging the war seems to be in the interest of both sides since they continue to paint each other as failing on some level, whether or not they're not enough of a warmonger or um, just uh, Biden is incompetent. That's how both sides like sides. Republicans and Democrats, you're saying? Yeah, Republicans and Democrats. And then and then just within the, the parties themselves. I mean, the Democrats seem to be split, as do the Republicans. One side calling for a pseudo peace, the other side saying, you know, we need more weapons and more war. But I meant just um, a way for Putin to both save face and, quote unquote, pull back from Kiev and yet retain uh, the Donbass and that region along with Mariupol, which conflicting reports are it's already fallen or is about, it's about to fall so that he has a land bridge to Crimea. Um, and then we, we look back on this five years from now the same way we did the incursion a decade ago where he just retained some lands and it's in dispute and the UN doesn't recognize that he has them, but he has them. And that's the end result to this conflict. That's what I meant by at least lessening bloodshed if we just, quote unquote, allow that to happen while still screaming about it being wrong. He gets to save face. NATO gets to save face. And at least we just, you know, finally stop seeing the human tragedy of death due to, you know, conflict, full on war conflict. (laughs) I know that doesn't make sense, but neither does all this bullshit. And this is just speculation. His aim is to bog Russia down in a costly insurgency and use Ukrainians as cannon fodder. So to me, whatever the, the, whatever the U S does, in my opinion, and this, you know, I could be totally wrong, will be geared toward that goal. No, that's a good point. The, I see the difference this time as there's a a significant uh, crowd, particularly in Europe, who's just going to be pushing back against that foreign policy, so to speak, of, of, of U.S. hegemony. Um, so with that a particularly loud voice in their ear. They might take a slightly uh, less hawkish line this time around and uh, allow uh, allow this to happen quicker rather than slower. Meaning this meaning a a drawdown of forces. Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. We'll see. Uh, certainly, people in Europe are going to feel the impact of this war already. The uh, the German the German Food Retailer Association or something to that effect has already announced like at least a twenty percent increase in food prices. So it's it's Europeans who will pay the price of the war, also with you know higher energy prices. There was a line in the New York Times this weekend that said that Europeans have to prepare to be poorer and colder. Yeah, that's a direct quote: poorer and colder as a result of blocking off Russia from the economy, and so. Are Europeans going to tolerate that? And by the way, do they get a say in whether or not they uh, they they have to be poorer and colder as a result of using Ukraine in a proxy war against Russia? I mean, we'll see. No, come on. There's a good chance global warming will fix all those problems. There we go. And, uh, do you think that, do you think the uh, that we're trying to overthrow the government in Pakistan and that's related to all of this? <laughs> I've heard. I saw people talk, but I haven't looked into that yet. But certainly, that's what. Uh, 
Imran Khan is saying, right? He's saying that he's accusing the U.S. of a coup. But I just haven't, um, I haven't looked into that yet. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Todd. All Thank right. you. Returning caller, Masha. Yes, Masha. Hi, Masha. Hi, good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. So much has happened, hey? Um, yeah, Imran Khan actually said that there was an assassination attempt on him. So, like, that's there's one a moment happening right now where Pakistan and India have never been closer. So I'm sure that's terrifying for U.S., you know, power block, um, you know, traitors or whatever. So... Um, but I actually called about the uh, the New World Order comments on that Hillary segment. How fun was that, right? Like you were saying, uh, saying the quiet part out loud. And then I was I started thinking, like, we all think we know what they mean when they say New World Order. But do, are they talking about the governments that, at least on paper, collectively represent about 10% of the world's population? Or do they mean, like, the the Western oligarchs that, like, that are, like, 0.00001% of the population? Hmm, good question. I think Chuck Todd probably would say he's talking about the, pol the governments. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but of course, yeah, I don't even think he's smart enough to understand how that other stuff works. Right. Right. It was just, but, it was just bizarre. Yeah. It was truly bizarre. And then when Hillary said that more banks can be sanctioned, um, I'm really wondering if that has to do with the fact that Russia had given that um, deadline for gas purchases out of like for European customers um, that must be made in rubles from now on. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, do you think that they're kind of yeah. like just closing the only window left open for European well, purchasers right. of, that's yeah, of Russian question. energy? Yes. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. yeah. But that's what, that's what she meant. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, one of you talked about U.S. using the presence of Nazis in Ukraine, but I actually want to point out that there's been kind of like declassified uh, documents out of the CIA about Project Aerodynamic, uh, which is, quote, to provide for the exploitation and expansion of the anti-Soviet Ukrainian resistance for cold and hot war purposes that like that document secret document was dated july 13th 1953 damn yeah so like the moment that they stopped collectively fighting nazis together you know nominally or whatever they started sponsoring like nazi power blocks within the ukraine uh that is uh a part of history that i think is very relevant to today mm -hmm. and uh and unfortunately we're only going to get like the information about what the U S is doing now, 50 years from now, you know, in the same way we're getting now, like we're, we're still learning about how the U S supported Nazis during and after the second world war, especially after mm -hmm. the second world war uh, in Ukraine, we're going to probably going to not learn what the full story about what the U S is doing now until 50 years from now. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Like all of these documents and then who will analyze them and how will they be presented and who will be left to even engage with that information. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and then finally, just like wanted to make a note about meaningful communication between like Russia or or kind of broadly huh, like Eastern European or, or Slav contingents and the West is difficult around this issue because, you know, U Ukraine is not a sovereign democracy, but a corrupt oligarchy controlled by Western non-state actors. 
And then the West broadly believes that this is the definition of democracy. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much, there's been so much propaganda around that, that like the, the meaning of the word seems to have shifted. Like the, yeah. the West, like generally, like the public believes that that's a democracy. It's just like American, like surrogate and, and, um, and like client states and stuff. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then just like finally on Zelensky, just a funny thing. Like, where do you even think he is? Like, he, you know, he's been appearing in front of green screens. He's wearing the same army T-shirt. Um, but he was talking about how he can't talk in meetings because of shelling going on. But does anyone think that he's still anywhere in Ukraine or Kiev? Yeah, great question. I've, I've, I mean, people think he's in Poland. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in Western Ukraine. But uh, who knows? Who knows? I mean, you know, I, he, he did make an appearance at the Grammys last night. I, I totally did. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah. <laughs> that was like... How'd he do? Did he win anything? <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know who wrote that speech for him, but it was really something. And it was a... It's like Bizarro World, like that he's... Uh, that he's appearing in these like obviously you know like uh, like not just propaganda pieces but like pop it's like eurovision like what is happening anyway thanks a lot and i'm um, continuing to enjoy you guys and listen to you all the time thanks masha thanks masha okay oops uh sorry trying to get back wait hold on okay let's go with our next caller andrew did that go did i did that go through Andrew? Yeah. Hi, Andrew. Hey. Good to hear you both. Um, how are you doing? Good, you? Can you yeah, hear me? We're doing good, you? Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, good. Sorry, I was, I was like, for whatever reason, I could only see emojis and not the mute button for a second. Oh, okay. But uh, my question is uh, largely about the sanctions. Um, seems like the sanctions against Russia by the U.S. and Europe were a little bit maybe half-hearted or performatively targeted rather than sort of strategically targeted. And now we're seeing the ruble has already increased back to pretty much where it was before the sanctions. And it's likely to harden as an international currency. It seems to be going pretty poorly as far as the sanctions are concerned. And really, if Europe were to... Re- completely go through with the sanctions, they would be, I mean, really shafted when it comes to uh, inflation commodities that are unavailable that were previously coming to Russia, and there's not really anyone to step in for the supply chains. And so what I'm worried about and what I wonder if you two could speak about is um, there's a whole you know, host of other nations um, that are not taking part in the sanctions that are outside of the um, the what we call the West, um, for instance, a lot of Central and South America, Africa, other countries. And I'm wondering, uh, do you foresee, are there already things in the sanctions that people have written about where there's going to be a whole lot of secondary sanctions and it's going to be kind of marketed to the American public, like, oh, we're doing this for Russia, you know, to fight Russia, but actually it's to continue, continue to kind of hold economic dominance over the, the global South or especially the Americas or, to kind of keep Europe down from, from really competing with the United States, kind of like the, the Sterling scheme that they did in the, I don't know if that was the eighties to kind of tank or earlier to tank the British currency. I'm wondering, is there already kind of movement in this direction 
Uh, is this something you're worried about or does this seem like a real uh, goal of the sanctions? So just to explain for people who don't, who aren't familiar with the term, secondary sanctions means that not only would the U.S. just sanction Russia, but also sanction anybody who does business with Russia. And that's what the U.S. has, for example, uh, imposed on Syria, where the Syrian government, if they want to do, say, you know, if they want to give a reconstruction deal to a Chinese company to help Syria rebuild from the rubble of the 10-year dirty war, then the U.S. will sanction that Chinese company. So basically it means no one can do any business with Syria or else they'll face U.S. sanctions. And as far as I know, the U.S. has not imposed secondary sanctions when it comes to Russia yet, right? And so the question is, will that be rolled out? That's a good question. I don't know. What I am surprised by is that the ruble has not crashed as, as everybody had predicted, that actually it seems to be, it seems to have rebounded. And um, that's a big part of that is that just so many countries don't want to go along with what the U.S. is doing. They don't want to hurt their own economies by cutting off Russia just to please the U.S. And so how the U.S. responds to that, I have no idea, but I don't think this has gone the way they planned when it comes to the sanctions and the impact that would have on Russia. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just wondering, do you think that they'll try to, to save face? Will they sort of try to squash other, I guess, I don't want to say this as a pejorative, but like middling economies? I'm actually, I'm mostly thinking about uh, Mexico, um, which is trying to kind of undergo um, like a renationalization of their energy sector um, and trying to kind of regain some of the material production sovereignty that the country once had um, or can have. Uh, I'm worried about like other countries that are kind of easier targets for the U S but if there's, if there, it seems, you know, I guess that's hopeful what you said. There are, there is no indication that there are already secondary sanctions. Yeah. Um, look, it, it, it's the kind of thing where I, I, just, I don't know where it, it's hard for me to make predictions, but the fact that you haven't seen secondary sanctions yet, I, I think that's an indication of how skittish, you know, other countries are about this whole U.S. led effort of cutting off Russia, because cutting off Russia means raising energy prices and, and food prices for all these other countries. And it's hard to get on board with that just for the sake of of uh, of whatever the cause is in Ukraine. Um and uh, so I don't know, but I think you raise really great questions and it's, it's definitely something to pay attention to going forward because it's a question is like the question will be how vindictive will the U.S. be if things don't go the way they plan and will they take it out on other countries, essentially. I, I think that's like the, the base, but that's like the heart of your question and it, it's a great one. Right on. Well, um, thanks again to both of you. Super big fan of both of your thanks. work. I Super important and just happy to see you on Colin. Um, also, yeah, I couldn't probably think of a better person to step in for Matt for a while, Aaron. So, anyways, big thanks. Love you both. Thanks, thanks Andrew. Thank you. All right. Imagine um, if anyone had that conversation on mainstream, you know, uh, media about secondary sanctions. But it wouldn't or, be. Or about how I'm doing a good job replacing Matt for the time being. That would, you know. That. that That'd be amazing to see that on, on Meet the Press. Oh, yeah, that too. But no one has the guts to talk about they that. Can't, they can't have that conversation. They can't no. go there. They can't go there, no. Yeah.
Yeah. All right, Johnny, you're up. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. Great, great. Uh, so I'm a truck driver uh, driving down uh, Highway uh, 31 southbound towards uh, Georgia. And, um, I've been working on this strategy with a couple other people about a general strike, and uh, I wanted to start off with a couple of presuppositions. First of all, if, uh, how many people in America would, could define the word neoliberalism and what it means? Number one. Number two, that there is an alternative to neoliberalism, which would be embedded liberalism. John Maynard Keynes and you know his idea and understanding of how the government can uh, intervene in, uh, in, in in the capitalist, you know, how they uh, they'll go overboard. Number three, most people in America could say as individuals they don't have the power to make any change. So I disagree that it's apathy. I don't think we're apathetic, meaning we don't care. We care very much. We just feel like we have no power. Number four, and there is a four here, I'm sure. Yeah. Earlier, uh, I think Katie, and by the way, you guys are a great team. Uh, there's a Matt in there somewhere, right? Matt, Matt Taibbi or Aaron Maté, there's a Matt in there. But um, number four, uh, Katie, uh, Katie said earlier that you really need strong leadership in order to, uh, in order to advance or you know, get over neoliberalism. And I kind of disagree. Because if you look in history, JFK got assassinated, Martin Luther King gets assassinated, they tried to, to assassinate, uh, I believe, the Prime Minister of uh, India, uh, Khan, I and mean, it goes on and on and on. My argument is that it is the fact that we do have leadership that we fail. So here's the idea, here's the strategy. The strategy is that we take what we all agree about, on, which is whether it's right, left, or anybody in between. We all basically agree on three things. Number one, that we can no longer call ourselves a government of and for the people. Number two, can, can, can you guys hear me all right? Oh, I hope so. We can hear you fine, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, great. All right, uh, number two, that uh, we all deserve a vote on Medicare for All. We might not agree on it, but we deserve a vote. And what I mean by Medicare for All is not the state-sponsored, because we know that State-sponsored is um, the, uh, issue, the the currency users trying to afford Medicare for their states, and we all know that the states are in a race for the bottom. How can the states get revenue from a population, a society that's broke by design, right? So it has to be a national health care system, a single-payer health care system. And number three, and uh, where you started the show off was how uh, the, uh, the strike uh, – through Amazon wasn't uh, wasn't um, talked about in mainstream media. So the the number third the third thing that we all agree on is that the most powerful weapon they use against us is the fact that we have no voice that they ignore us or they pretty much say whatever they want and you know there's no pushback right. So here's the strategy. I say that we number one have to educate everybody on what neoliberalism is and the alternative, that there is a better life for working class people, which would be embedded liberalism. And number two, that we uh, have to uh, educate people on the basics of modern money, because that's a real big key. It's through money that these corporations, oligarchs, and neoliberals had taken our country, like in Bill Mitchell's book, Reclaiming the State. Neoliberalism is 
the new liberalism, which says, no, it's not like laissez-faire uh, liberalism before uh, embedded liberalism came in. What was that in the 1920s when, you know, we just let the, let, let the market do whatever it wants and we got the 1929 crash. Now, neoliberalism is people acting, uh, acting in uh, uh, making Johnny. sure... Yes, yes. Yeah, Johnny. Listen, I think we got it, and I, I appreciate. I agree with everything you're saying. Right. I just I want to open it okay. up to more callers. This is General strike. Right. General yeah. strike. We're with hey. it. Sign me up. Sign me up. Got it. And Bye. and uh, safe yeah. driving. Hey. Safe driving. Safe driving. Great show, guys. Great show. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Thanks, Johnny. All right, Bye. Daphne. Daphne. Hi, Daphne. Daphne, unmute yourself by hitting the mic. Okay, there you go. Hi. Are you there? Daphne? Hello? We can't hear you, but you're unmuted. There's, there's sometimes this thing where you have to give your phone permission to oh, yeah. use the microphone. So, uh-uh. Daphne, if you see that option, try to hit it. And if not, we'll move on to the next caller, but you can always call back in and we'll let you back in. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Sue, you're up. And then we are going to wrap in 10 minutes. Yeah. We lost Sue. Okay. John, John, you're up. John, you're up. Uh, Hit the microphone. Icon to unmute yourself, please. All right. Well, then we'll move on to Hannah, who is next. Hannah. Uh, Unmute yourself, Hannah. And to do that, you press the uh, microphone icon at the bottom right of your screen. Maybe the NSA is all up in our column today. Well, I see Sue has returned, so I'm going to let Sue back in. All right, great. See if that is resolved. And Serge, you were in the line, then you're not here anymore. Oh, Serge was there. Okay, well. But he left. He left. Can you hear me? Yeah, hi, Sue. Hi. Sorry, the app was not cooperating well that happens uh, it does unfortunately yeah um my question is um i really enjoy watching you guys on youtube and listening to all your content but i want to be able to do something because talking is great but action um it brings about more results and so um in that spirit there are lots of people who I guess you could categorize on the left who are on YouTube and various platforms talking about these type of topics, but it doesn't seem like they're all in the same place. And if something like the Daily Wire, excuse me, the Daily Wire can pull together people, I was wondering if you all could do the same, even if all the individuals involved aren't in complete um, agreement. For example, I know Jimmy Dore voices his dissatisfaction with various individuals, 
But if we could all just come together. Who, Jimmy? No, not Jimmy. No. no. <laughs> if we could all come together, we really need some more formal organization with local newspapers dead or dying, um, union membership at an all-time low, with church membership down. And that was so important in the civil rights movement. Mm. It seems like there's no structure for organization and for, as that other gentleman discussed, wanting to do like a general strike. Well, that's great, but if you don't have the structures to make that possible and educate people on how to go about it in a productive manner, then it's all for nothing. And we are running out of time. I mean, it seems like things are really falling apart fast. And if, I mean, politics aside, you know, Sagar and Jetty discusses all the time the issues with the supply chain. It seems like putting profits over people is seriously degrading our society, the financialization of our, um, of our economy and of our whole world, every aspect of our world is really ripping things down. And so we don't have time. So we need this structure. So can you speak to that? And can you speak to the possibility of um, there being a more formal structure, something different than mainstream media, obviously, but where you know we can all come together and, and organize? And um, the last little piece to that is, what do you think of bringing back people going on and having um, AM radio? Because how can you censor the radio waves, mm. right? Yeah. So I'm going to mute it and you can uh, respond. Well, I'll say this. If you want a place on the left that brings in the most, I think, voices as possible, that's like at peace with the most amount of people where there's the least amount of pettiness, it's the Katie Helper show. Katie is like the bridge to the most number of people who don't like each other. Uh, and so if anybody can bridge, can bridge the divide, it's Katie. Otherwise, I have no ideas because it's just, you know, there's a lot of pettiness, a lot of ego and. I don't know how all that can be overcome. Preach. Just kidding. Of course, I, I like that idea. Thank you. I do try to do that. Well, thank you for your time. Thank but you. Anyway, like, listen, Sue, you know, I totally agree with everything you said. We do need to organize. We are running out of time. And uh, there needs to be something more structured and unifying on the left and all these various little siloed cliques and right. groups. And, right. and it's a really, it's, it's a troubling time. It's, and I don't know how to overcome, how to overcome it. I'm sorry. I wish I had, I wish I had ideas, but I don't, I mean, the only, you know, Bernie was a unifying moment where a lot of people who oh, otherwise God. wouldn't agree all came together behind Bernie. And hopefully another moment like that will materialize. Maybe Christian small or someone like that will become a, and we can all get behind that as a political movement. But in terms of the media, like the, the little lefty media space organizing themselves, it's, it's tough. It's tough stuff. All right. Um, MB. MB. MB, you're there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, a bit of lag on the uh, unmute button. Um, so uh, I've been, uh, as you're probably aware, I'm going to drag this back over to <laughs> uh, the current Ukraine crisis. And as you're probably aware, a few days ago, there was the EU summit where uh, there was some strong language directed at China, actually, 
by uh, the uh, by the president of the uh, European Commission and uh, uh, the other fellow uh, European Council. Um, where they were like urging China to not uh, to you know make more overt statements condemning or more overt actions to try and stop uh, the war you know um, the conflict uh, threatening China I think they've been making quite a few statements like you know China must do this and must do that and uh, di directing similar comments over to India actually who they've described uh, whose response they've described as uh, unsatisfactory. So I'm just wondering, what do you make of all this? Uh, I mean, especially considering there are sanctions on Chinese officials by the EU right now. and They're demanding they lift their sanctions on Lithuania and a few other countries. Um, where do you see this going um, in terms of relations? Is there is there going to be, a, in your view, a, uh, uh, a, a new third world? I use that in the more technical sense of the third world. Um, kind of uh, uh, historical sense of uh, economic cooperation? Like, is this going to, are they going to push China with this kind of really belligerent talk into uh, cl more closely aligning with Russia? Do you think China is going to break these sanctions? I mean, where do you see this going exactly? I, in terms of China, I seriously, to the extent Russia gamed this out, and I, I assume they did, I don't think Russia would have done this if they didn't feel confident that they had China's support. So... If I was predicting, yeah, I do think China and Russia are going to become increasingly interlinked to the point where Russia might become totally dependent on China. Because where else, if Russia gets cut off from entirely from the West, where else can Russia send its energy? So, yeah, if I had to predict, I do think that you're going to see deeper integration between Russia and China. And in terms of everywhere else, I mean, there's all this talk about a new world order, a new multipolar world, and that's a bit above my head. I would defer to people who pay more attention to the stuff like um, Michael Hudson. He's an economist who has written about this. Uh, Pepe Escobar, he's a commentator who talks about this kind of stuff. I, I would defer to people like that. What you say? Thanks a lot, man. That was, uh... Thank you. All right. Uh, Damien, you are up. Hey, how you guys doing today? Good, thanks. You? Uh, we're good. We're good. How are you doing? Uh, doing, doing great. I, I, I really love you guys' show. Um, but both of you guys are really great. Uh, I was, I was curious about. Um, I assume you guys watched the the Brianna Joy Gray, uh, interview. Which one? Uh, where she just tore, <laughs> where she tore apart. Uh, um, oh crap! What's his name? Uh, Rokana. Rokana, right, right, where she tore apart Rokana just in the nicest way. Uh, I assume you guys, I assume you guys took that in. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that specifically, like what has happened to that guy? Um, you think he's trying to run for for a president, or I mean, he just seems to just be getting worse and worse every interview I see of him. Well, look, to his credit, he does go on shows where he knows he will face criticism, which he, he's that, really, that's true. He's really the only, I think, yeah, the only can. really Democrat you can say that about. So I really genuinely give him credit for that. He's been on Katie's show. He goes on Bree's show and takes tough questions. He went on Jimmy Dore's show. Yes. 
I mean, so that's that you know that's that's commendable. So I give him credit you're, for that. You're, you're of, absolutely right. I, I, yeah. I definitely I definitely agree with you on that. But my goodness, that 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 Brianna Joy Gray interview that was that yeah. Was, uh, Look, ooh, something. It, it was, and I don't agree with the positions he's taken. And I think he used to be a lot more in terms of his stances were a lot more principled. And I think, yeah. he, I think, I think he's got it wrong on Ukraine, especially, but I, um, look, I, I think the interview with Bree speaks for itself. I think she did a great job. She did exactly uh, what should be done when you're interviewing a politician and, you know, politely, but, uh, aggressively asking questions and that, and that's what she did. And, and I think the answer is uh, like, the interview uh, speaks for itself. I, th- I, th- I thought she did it just a, that was really impressive interviewing. Cause it's, it's hard, especially when, you know, you have some sympathy for your guest who has some progressive uh, accomplishments, you know? So it's awkward right. to be so, uh, to be so kind of um, uh, like to, to challenge someone in that way. But I thought she did a great job. And what happened to him, I, I have no idea, but it's just, that's what happens when you're in Congress. It's tough. It's tough to maintain your principles in that world. It's that's why I'm really happy I'm not there. Um, and then I had, I had a couple other questions just on media in general. Um, what do you guys? Uh, there was a bit of talk about you know bringing you know different uh, independent media together, uh, trying to consolidate some of that. What do you guys think of Breaking Points? Um, you know, new or you know their their next rollout of having. Uh, it seems to have a lot more guests, um, you know, reoccurring contributors. Uh, do you think that they're headed in the right direction or is this going to be another, uh, you know, YT? Hello? Hi. Um, so whether they're moving in the right direction by having on recurring guests, that's your question? No, well, I mean, it seems like they're, it seems like they're kind of trying to, you know, create an umbrella, you know, of, of, uh, you know, left journalists and thinkers. Uh, do you think that this is, do you think this is going to bear fruit, I guess? Um, or do you think it's going to turn into, you know, another, you know, young Turks? Um, well, I gotta say, you know who they haven't had on a lot lately? <laughs> oh, no. Maybe not, <laughs> yeah. but we're friends. <laughs> Right, right. Opportunity. You know, that could really change my mind. Yes, um, I, you know, it, I, I, I think it could change a lot of people's minds. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> I think that it's good to have a mix of people, and they have, you know, people on there who don't all agree, which I think is good. I, I try to do that on my show. My show is obvious. well, I mean, I would say is more consistently and unapologetically left. Um, but no, they're a great resource, and it's great to have a show like that with high production value. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have a lot of, so yeah, I'm big fans. Um, and then the, the last, uh, the last, the last thing I have is I, I, uh, I'm guessing you guys know who the Vanguard is. Yes. Um, do you think that they're, do you think that they're, or what was that? We've both been on their shows. Right. Right. Yeah. I think Aaron has. Yeah, I know that they, you know, that they use clips quite a bit. So, uh, do you think that their, do you think that their attitude of agreeing people when they're right, regardless, it's kind of like in this, a lot of like, I guess what Kyle Kalinske also does gives, you know, gives credit when they need it, 
and you know and takes people down regardless of what side they're on most for the most part um i mean is this i mean to me this seems like the way to go um and help you know to help hopefully kind of soften this divide and you know this uh got you sort of my team your team mentality that you know we seem to you know suffer from consistently um yeah i mean to me it seems like the thing to do why more people aren't you know taking that route i'm not sure and do you guys have any thoughts on that and then that's it no i think that gotcha does well so people are incentivized to do the gotcha stuff i agree with what you're saying that i think that the ideal thing is i think you should view things by the issue uh, as opposed to just by whether or not you like the person i think that's fair yeah right uh, any type of con- constructive criticism, as long as it's done respectfully, and it's about the substance of the arguments themselves, not about people's personalities or other superficial things, is great. I mean, what I have a problem with is when people, you know, accuse me of working for Russia, <laughs> and, like make up all kinds of insane lies and distort the arguments that I make. That's that's what I have a problem with. But otherwise, I think criticism is is fair game. Um, Right. I'd be thought, I, I, I like being criticized. It's good. It's, it, it makes you re- refine your arguments and you have to defend what you've said. And if you can't defend it, then you, you know, account for that. But unfortunately, the, the, the YouTube media environment doesn't really encourage that. It does kind of encourage petty cat fights. And so I applaud anyone who doesn't engage in that. I think it's including the Vanguard. I think they do cool stuff. Yeah, I, I agree for such a, you know, small show and then, you know, with their fallout of the, you know, Jimmy Dore fans when they, you know, had the, the goal to criticize them. Uh, you know, I think that they're doing really good stuff. Uh, you know, I'd like to see more of more of that kind of, you know, stuff being promoted. Uh, but you but you guys do individually and together really, really great work. And I always look forward to catching your guys' call into live. Well, thank you. Thanks, Damon. All right. Anthony, you're up. And I guess we'll go for another. Can I make an executive decision? Because we already heard from Anthony. I loved hearing from him, but I want to give people a chance. Uh, Yes. Can we take Serge? Because he's there on the ground. He's in Ukraine. Okay. And yeah. And then Hannah. And then I'll be it. And then we'll call it. And then we'll call it on Colin. On it. Yeah. All right. I'm inviting you to speak. Oh, I meant to invite you to be a caller, but whatever. Same thing. Serge, you there? Uh, here, let me make you next caller. Okay, next caller. Hi, Serge. You don't have to accept the thing to speak. You can just be the next caller. Or whichever. Just unmute yourself, please. Serge, unmute. Press oh, the... Oh, hi. Uh, hi. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm right up here. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity once again. And uh, a lot of great takes and questions were asked already and I don't think um, I have anything of much importance to it. I guess I'll just be the regular rambling Ukrainian as always. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy Dorb was mentioned here, who I also pretty much adore. And he had a great point about this completely idiotic war in Ukraine right now. He said that it should be called for what it is. Not an actual war, but a trade war, a trade war between uh, the West and the East. And um, I don't know if everyone here knows, but Ukraine hasn't actually declared officially war uh, on Russia. So 
right now what we have here is should be categorized as just a conflict although all of the ukrainians and all of the government is uh, now saying that you know we have this horrible world war ii style war here with russians being nastier than all the fascists during the second world war and um some people asked if Zelensky is still in ukraine and it's a point people keep bringing up because there's this uh, theory that he might be somewhere in poland or in uh, western europe and he was just seen recently in bucha and he was given out uh, the humanitarian aid and people from bucha are saying that they have actually seen and actually while he was still there he gave an interview to some of the associated press reporters and uh, you know he had this very sad look uh, with very sad poppy eyes and when he was asked about mariupol and when it's going to be taken back he basically admitted that we have lost mariupol and it's never going back and by the way erin um i think you keep saying that uh, uh in bucha the battalions that entered the city after the, after the russians retreated you you think that uh, that was the azov battalion but as far as i know and as far all the news are reporting it here uh actually these were the troops of the national police and they are not a part of the ukrainian national guard which consists of various battalions including the azov battalion which is now as far as we all understand is under heavy fire in mariupol and they are they are concentrated in the industrial region of mariupol and are hiding in the bunkers soviet bunkers which are very hard to penetrate and that's why russians have such tough time i got you my basis my basis for saying that was seeing a picture of azov battalion members in, in the new york times and it said that they were in bucha that's where i got that from oh interesting but maybe the uh, possibly it's yeah or, or possibly it's wrong i'll look into it well you know uh we also have this current uh small infighting in the government where the main advisor to the president Daryostovich is uh basically saying that another high official in the government Yurashenko posted this video of the territorial guard captain which entered Bucha after the 30 31st March March of 31 and in this video this captain which has been recognized as neo neo-nationalists uh whose name is if I remember correctly, correctly, his name is Sergei Karotkich. So he's a quite prominent neo-nationalist. And in this video, he's saying that, you know, why one of his troops is asking him if they should kill all the people that they see that don't wear the correctly colored arm bandages. And this captain is saying like, yeah, of course, kill them all. And, you know, even in, in our government, the there has been some infighting because of this video because it shouldn't have seen the light of the day but 
you know, they are so disorganized in some way that they make such crappy mistakes, to be honest. And was that in, uh, Serge, was that in Bucha? Yeah, it was in Bucha. It, it was in a video that now has been deleted. And if you ask me what happened there, I think your take is completely correct aside from Azov being there, but I understand why would you make such a mistake. But what I think happened is actually uh, Russia is telling, well, I guess semi-truth. I don't think that, you know, we also have this incredible, uh, completely insane current narrative in the official news. Uh, which are now being propagated through the only available TV channel, TSN. And they are now spreading uh, such incredible takes from very brave, quote-unquote, reporters, which are taking uh, <clears throat> interviews from small children who are now saying that, uh, you know, they've seen Russian soldiers uh, killing everyone and raping everyone from, you know, children aged eight to old grannies aged 80, including corpses. So they now are saying that Russian troops are engaging in necrophilia and we are supposed to believe that. Uh, uh, what I was going to say? Uh, so we, ah, yeah, regarding what happened there, I think that uh, as you know, after the war started, our government actually released a lot of war criminals, which were jailed by this current government for the war crimes that were perpetrated during the 2014 war in Donbass region. And a lot of battalions were engaging in very serious war crimes, including, of course, uh, torture, murder, and rape of children and innocent people. And one of these battalions is the now infamous Tornado Battalion, which engaged in some seriously insane stuff. You should look it up. And these guys were released after this war was declared. And we were told by the general prosecutor, I think, uh, that, you know, everything is under control and these guys know how to fight Russians and they hate Russians, so it's okay to release them. And, like, don't think that we're just giving them the get-out-of-jail-free card. So they will, you know, uh, serve the, their country in this way and will be able to pay out their debt to the population. But... Of course, it's completely insane because what these people did, if you look it up, they were actively engaging in criminal activities. Even then, they got back to the mainland, to the center of Ukraine. Some of those guys were just killing policemen. Uh, some of those guys were engaging in rape. And, well, these are just, if you look up the... <clears throat> the court proceedings which happened. Uh, you can see that those guys are just, uh, you know, these huge, bold-headed uh, criminals uh, which talk like criminals and act like criminals. So you don't have to expect anything. 
so you know i keep rambling on but what i think happened is that they released these guys in order to use them not to fight the russians but actually to fight the ukrainians which are now being you know sort of released from the russian occupation and what they're doing is they are actively punishing everyone who was communicating and being friendly with russian soldiers when they occupied Bucha, Irpin, and other small cities near Kiev. And there's also this funny narrative that we see, you know, the Russian army is officially pulling out its troops from Kiev in order to put them to the eastern part of Ukraine and close, close down this circle in the Mariupol. And so, of course, uh, they are pulling out the troops without any fighting. But what our Ukrainian militia is saying is that they're bravely taking back the cities, like they're these heroes. But what they're doing is they're taking empty cities, which were released by the Russian army. So no, it's just insane propaganda and complete insanity all around. So yeah, that's my take. Sorry for taking so much time. And once again, Thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I hope everyone will have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Serge. And we always appreciate you keeping us posted on what's happening inside Ukraine and getting your perspective. It's really, really appreciated. So thank you as always for taking the time. And let's leave it there because uh, uh, this has been another great episode. Thanks to everybody who called in and tuned in. It's so Say it again. Hannah, we said we'd get Hannah. Can we... Okay. A- all right. All right. Bonus caller, Hannah, you are up. Hannah, hold on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, Hannah. I mean yourself. Sorry. I have water in my mouth. Hold on. Hannah, you there? I mean yourself. I mean yourself. If not, we're going to end it. To unmute yourself, you just hit that mic icon at the bottom right. So we'll get you next time. You can practice. It's very easy. Bottom right of the screen, you just hit the mic icon. All right. And hopefully the app will continue to update and work out the bugs for everyone who wasn't able to speak because of some app issues. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's great to have your support. Usefulidiots.substack.com. And we'll be back back here next week. Yeah, and make sure you – yeah, and your friends – if you miss this live, your friends can watch listen to this later. That's like a podcast. But uh, yeah, subscribe to usefulidiots.substack.com and uh, to our uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks to everyone who asked questions and tuned in. See you next week. Bye. Bye.